in 1 Peter chapter 4 this day, and I'll start with a, um, a declaration. I'll say it this way. God's way is the best way. It's what we, it's, it's kind of like a whole thing. Being a Christian, we believe this. We invite people to come to God. We tell them, come to God because his way is better than the world's way. And sometimes people believe us. And they'll choose to follow God, to pray to God, to go to church. But then sometimes something happens. What if you're told God's way is the best way, and you turn to Jesus, and then life gets harder? That happens sometimes. Listen, in India, I was preaching to the untouchables of India. The lowest caste, a caste full of like lepers, people, their, their name is untouchable. Do not touch them. Not allowed in the temple to worship the Hindu gods. They're literally considered unclean in society. Life is already difficult for the untouchables. And I'm preaching this jungle village and I'm inviting them to come to Jesus. I'm telling them God's way is the best way. And before I'm preaching one night, I look out at the village, at the people that are gathered in this field, sitting on the floor, on the ground. And I realize if anyone here believes this message I'm preaching, if they actually respond and come forward to call on the name of Jesus, their hard life becomes harder, not easier. If their neighbors see them confess Christ, they might be reported to the authorities. And what if the Hindu charities stop giving them rice? What if their families say, you can't live here anymore? I'm like, God, for many people, coming to you makes their life harder than it already is. Peter is writing this letter to believers in this world. In the ancient Near East, Peter's writing to Christians who love Jesus, who've confessed Jesus, but their lives have been blown up because of Jesus. The, the early Christians, the Greeks don't like them. The Romans don't like them because, because in, the, in Rome, you should be loyal to the emperor, and these Christians are loyal to the Christ. And the Jews don't like it because... We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Jews are like, you have too many gods. So the Christians, no one likes them. The Jews don't like them. The Romans don't like them. The Greeks don't like them. Their life is blown up. They're suffering. They're like, Peter, you told us that God's way is the best way. Why is it harder now? And here's Peter's answer. Peter begins in verse 12 saying this, Beloved, I love that first word. He loves these people. This is not an academic exercise for Peter. The people he's writing to, he cares for them. The way we care for one another here. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you. As though some strange thing were happening to you. He's saying this to the people. Suffering is not a detour. It is the way. Suffering is not a detour. 
Sometimes Christian preachers, we try to make Jesus look attractive to the crowd. So we say, come to Jesus, it'll be awesome. We tell you how great the car is, right? Buy this car, dude. It has sweet tires, automatic windows. I don't know. It goes fast. Whoa. But the preachers don't say, AC don't work on this car. We hide the bad. This thing gets four miles to the gallon, yo. Like We don't tell them the hard things. The preachers don't say, coming to Christ is the best way, but coming to Christ, you're choosing a life of self-denial. You're choosing to swim against the stream. You're choosing to deny yourself for a greater cause. That doesn't sell as well, does it? Like heaven sells. Dying to self does not sell. Peter goes, listen, I, I, I'm sorry to explain it to you. You got to understand, suffering is not a detour for us. Suffering is not us getting lost. Suffering is the way. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you're, the person we love the most, the person we model our lives after, the person we sing songs to, Jesus, he told us, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. A servant is not greater than his master. Jesus, he loved people. He was kind. He helped people. And guess what? They crushed him for it. His best friends left him when he needed them most. If that's what he got, why do we think? Some preachers say, if you come to Jesus, God's going to give you money and health forever. Christ did not get those things. What did he say? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We, we worship a homeless Savior, and we think he promises us big houses. doesn't promise us that. Suffering for us is not, it is not a bug, it is a feature. If you choose to follow God, you're going to suffer. For doing good. How crazy is that? Not for doing evil. If you choose to be with Jesus and do things his way, people are going to be annoyed with you. Listen. Being the party pooper is never cool. Right? If all, if all the crew, if all your friends... Listen. She's not here. I can say this. No, listen, listen. <laughs> no, listen. My daughter at school had a mean girl thing happen where there was a war among the girls. Junior high, like junior high boys, just punch me in the eye and let's be friends at lunchtime. Girls is different. Junior high girls, there's war, and it's like, like, my, like my third generation daughter still hates your third generation daughter for what you did to my mom junior high. Like it's crazy with girls. So there's a mean girl war, right? And my daughter decides, I'm not going to be in the war. I'm going to be friends with everybody and not pick a side. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not, if they, they, tell, they ask me to gossip, what you say about me? I'm not involved. I ain't gossiping nobody. And guess what happened? Both sides got annoyed with her. They wanted her to choose a side. 
And she wouldn't do it. We're driving, and I ask her, why not just pick a side, hang out with one side, don't gossip, just when you hang out with both of them, they both get mad at you, just pick one. It'll be easier. I'm being a dad, right? I'm like, just it's the easy, choose the easy path. And my 12-year-old daughter in the church truck tells her preacher father. She goes, well, Dad, I'm reading Matthew. <laughs> I'm not, you can't make it up. Well, she's like, I'm reading Matthew, and it says, like, blessed are those who suffer for, for doing good, like end of chapter 5. She's like, so if this is what it is, I got to do it. And I was like, all right. <laughs> like, you want some ice cream? Like, what am I going to do? Like, you're, you're doing the right thing. But you, sometimes choosing the right thing, people aren't going to be loving you for it. What, dude, imagine one of your best friends tells you he's telling, just talking trash and is like, you know what, man? There's, I, I got to be careful what I say about people in the world. What if, what if you're with the guys working and one of the guys talking about cheating on his wife this week and everyone's laughing about it and you got to be the one to go, dude, it's not okay, man. No one loves you. You ruined the last, bud. But you're like, listen, bro, your wife's awesome. You can't do this, man. Even if she ain't awesome, you can't do this, man. Like, being the source of truth. Growing up, when I was in, in high school and college, I wasn't abusing alcohol, I wasn't abusing drugs. Sometimes the guys would want to be stupid, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go, man. Oh, Nesto, man, yo, Jesus freak ain't going to drink with us. It's, it feels bad to be an outsider, to not be invited, to be the weird person. But guess what? If you're with Jesus, sometimes you're going to be the outsider. You're choosing a hard path. It's not a detour, it's the way. It's the best path. He says, do not be surprised as though some strange thing. Listen, I'm telling you right now, if you want to be with Jesus, the AC doesn't work. Okay, here's the metaphor. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to have your heart broken. That's a guarantee of following Jesus. If you choose to love like he loved, Judas will stab you. Peter will leave you. Your best friends will fall asleep when you need him most. That's a promise. It's hard. Don't think that coming to Christ means easy street forever. He says this. The fiery trial, it comes upon you for your testing. Brother John, Big John we call him here, he has a forge in his garage. And he takes railroad spikes and he beats them into knives. He made me one. It's awesome. I got it at my house. It's hidden somewhere in case someone breaks in. I'm serious. I, don't have, I have no gun in my house, but if you come, I have other stuff for you. Um, I'm just saying. There's axes and, and hatchets and swords, knives. All, it's I'm like, yeah, man, and my mitts, but um, I'm just saying, don't get any ideas coming to my house, okay? My dog's going to go, hey, daddy, someone's here. I'm like, let's get him. Um, so 
I got this knife, and I'm like, how'd you make this knife? He told me, put this railroad spike into the fire, and the fire made the metal red hot. And he pulled it out and put it on the sinking anvil, and he just started beating on that thing. And the heat allowed that spike to be molded and shaped and changed. And here's the hard truth of the human heart. For some reason, suffering, for some reason, suffering, it softens our heart more than anything else will. For some reason, it's like when, when life is good, we just don't give a rip. But in those moments when the floor falls out, we actually listen. We actually think. We actually are soft to God's leading hand. I was in a class on leadership, and they asked every student in the class, name the three things that most influenced your walk with God, that grew you the most as a Christian. I sat down and thought about it for a long time, and the three events I chose that, 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 that affected my life the most were the three hardest moments of my life. Because in those moments of desperation, in those moments of vulnerability and brokenness, God could reach through all the fake crap and touch the real me and mold it and form it and change it. I don't want to go through it again. I don't. But I wouldn't be who I am without it. Listen, it's for our testing. It's for, a better way, it's for our proving. It's where he proves us, shapes us. I wrote, I have a quote here from an incredible play by Thornton Wilder. This play is called um, The Angel on the Water. And it comes from a Bible story Jesus, it comes from a story, a parable Jesus tells, a story Jesus tells. In, in this play, not a story, it's a, a miracle Jesus does. There's this pool in Jerusalem that people go to and they wait there by the pool lepers, the lame, the sick. And if the water in the pool moves, first person in the water will be healed. People would just wait there to be healed forever. Well, in the story, in this play, that pool is still there in Jerusalem, and people still go there for healing. And there's, in the story, the doctor who travels Israel and goes there every day wanting to be healed because he has a melancholy in his heart. He has a depression and a sadness that just... It's like a blanket over his whole life. And all he wants is to be healed of his melancholy, healed of his depression. It's all he wants. So he waits every day by the pool. And one day, one day, he sees the water move. And he goes to walk in. And the angel stops him. The angel says, you cannot enter. The healing is not for you. And the man says, you have to let me in. I can't live with this burden. I can't live with this sadness. And this is the line from the play. The angel says to that doctor, without your wounds, where would your power be? It is your melancholy that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men and women. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children of this earth as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love's service, only wounded soldiers can serve. Even the angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering hearts of men and women like one person broken on the wheels of living. 
We have a recovery service on Tuesday nights here at Flint City Church called Flint City Recovery. And at Flint City Recovery, sometimes I speak, but sometimes we have people come who are not preachers and give their testimony. They're not speakers. They're normal people, normal men and women. And they share their stories of how addiction had them and God met them in their need. I saw a guy a few weeks here sit down on the stage and read a piece of paper for 25 minutes. You think it's going to be boring nonsense, right? But the power of that broken life touched by God smoked the whole room. Suffering is not a detour. It's the way. And listen, it's a hard path to grow in Jesus. But the only way we grow is through those hard things and being open to God during the hard things. Not running from the hard thing. Not hiding. Not denying the hard thing. A lot of us, we hate pain so much, we'll do anything to dodge it. TV's on. I fill up the bottle. You got to face it. You got to walk through it to get past it. Suffering's not a detour. It is the way. Peter goes on to say this to us in verse 13. But to the degree you are sharing the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Hear those words? Rejoicing, rejoice, exaltation. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Suffering, look at suffering, rejoicing should be in the same sentence. Peter says, listen, if you're suffering, you should rejoice because you're blessed. Well, how am I blessed if I'm yeah, if I am an outsider, if I'm considered the nerd or the weird person, if no one likes me because I stood for truth when everyone else embraced the lie, how is that blessed? Tell you how. Because suffering for Jesus is suffering with Jesus. Suffering for Jesus is suffering with Jesus. Listen, listen to the first word. He says, you are sharing the suffering of Christ, sharing the suffering of Christ. As you read the Bible, you will see there's this theme of those who love Jesus sharing in his suffering. We all want to share in his glory, in his victory, in his power. The only way to share in the good is to share in the bad. So we have, outside in this lobby, we have an elevator for anybody who has any kind of handicap, a walker, a wheelchair. And our elevator, that thing is 1970s, the elevator is. It's loud, right? And the power goes out, you're stuck up here. Like, you're not here, here. You know what I'm saying? And if it breaks, ain't no one ought to fix that thing. It's old, it's old than I am. So we are, as a church, we're going to build... A, a new lobby and porches, and we're putting in a handicap ramp that'll, that'll be real nice and able people to come in whenever they want. It's going to be awesome. But building that new lobby is going to cost us big old cheese money. And as a Flint City church, as a church from the city of Flint, we don't got big cheese money. So how are we going to build it? Well, thank the Lord, I happen to have a millionaire buddy of mine 
It's going to help give us some money. Not, not all of it. We still got it. We're going to do like a whole uh, building campaign. Yay. Um, someday we'll do that. But I've got a friend of mine who's going to help us with some money. And some people say to me, man, so how'd you get a millionaire buddy? How do I get me one of those, you know? I want a millionaire buddy. Yeah, I want two. <laughs> Dang, girl. <laughs> but listen, here's the deal. I knew this guy in college. He lived with my next-door neighbor in college. We lived in dorms. And he was, he was a nobody back then. He had no money. He just a dude. And he was the first. He got married young. He got, he's married, moves to South Illinois, and he bought a big old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. He had so little. He bought this house, three stories. That thing was, should have been condemned. It was so old and moldy. But he bought it and brought his new bride to the house. And so at spring break, me and the boys, instead of going to somewhere cool, right, spring break, let's go to stinking Florida, we go to South Illinois. We all throw in $200 of our hard-earned money on the way to this guy's house. We pull over. We buy the shingles. We buy the plywood. We buy the hammers. We go there and spend our week off of school putting a roof on this guy's house. And listen, every day, like this dude, this house had like four layers of shingles up top. We had like two layers of the normal shingles. We had a layer of the cedar shakes, cedar shake. Then we had, then it was up there, and it's the, the stinking pitch is brutal. We're three stories high. So one of the guys made us these rope harnesses we tied to the chimney, which is a terrible idea. Like if I fell, I'm going to fall, hit the ground, and the chimney's going to fall on top of me. That's what's going to happen. But we work hard all day, and at night we'd light a fire, we'd cook food, we'd talk and laugh. I was there with my buddy when he had nothing. We were boys then. And guess what? When he came into his own, guess what? We're still boys. He knows I'm not his friend for what he has, because I was his boy when he had nothing. I shared in the hard, and now I share in the good. You know what I'm saying? We want the goodness of Jesus, but all we, we want to skip. We want to rise from the dead, but we don't want to die. I want to be born again. I don't want to repent of the old life to get there. Like the thing is, if you suffering for Jesus is suffering with Jesus, you are with him on his path. Listen, I go to I go to Romans. Romans chapter 8, listen to this language, 8.17. If you are a child, then you are an heir, an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ, if indeed you suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. The language, if you suffer, you will be glorified. In Philippians, the same language is there. He says this, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the sharing of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Why? In order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. I go through, I walk with Christ in the suffering that I may share with him in the glory. <sighs> suffering for Jesus is suffering with Jesus. And then Peter says this, verse 17, verse 17, 
For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? What Peter's saying is very simple. Peter's saying this. Peter goes, suffering with Jesus is better than suffering without Jesus. Like, if it's hard with the Lord, imagine what it's like without the Lord. Dude, it's... So I asked this question at first service. I said, man, you know what's worse than being in the hospital, being in the hospital for a month, sick, broken up on machines? What's worse than being in the hospital for a month is being alone in the hospital for a month. I asked someone, uh, so someone we know in the church was going to the hospital, I asked, what's the hardest part of being in the hospital? And they told me, it's just being alone up here. It's the hard part. It's being alone up here, feeling forgotten, feeling uncared for. Listen, suffering is hard. It's hard. But having God to hold us and catch us, it was a hard week this week. I came home one night, and I was a Empty, broken man. All used up. And I cast all that hurt on the Lord. And he caught me and he held me. I can't imagine what people do in this life without the Lord. You just fall down alone. There's this movie called Signs with Mel Gibson. And it's this great, it's a good movie. It's worth the watch. Um, it's a little scary. Just warning you in case you don't like scary. It's not like bloody scary, but it's a little scary. <laughs> it is. There's a scene where Mel Gibson and his brother are watching TV, and there's like UFOs in the sky. And the little brother asks, like, are you afraid? And the preacher man brother says, for those of us who believe in God, we see these lights as a miracle. And we know whatever happens is going to be okay because God's in control. But for those who see these lights and don't believe in God, they feel fear because they know whatever happens, they're alone. That, that scene affected me a lot. If you believe in God, whatever happens, you're like, God's in control, it's going to be okay. But if you don't believe in God at all, you are in this life on your own. Whatever happens, it's just you and your wits. I th- I'm, I'm grateful that it's not just me and my wits, because sometimes my wits have crap for brains. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm grateful to God that he's merciful and is bigger and badder than my strength or my will. So listen. It ends like this in verse 19. Therefore... Those also who suffer according to the will of God. You hear that? Those who suffer according to the will of God, meaning God is in control. Even in the hard thing, God has not lost control of the car. God is still leading us somewhere. Those also who suffer according to the will of God, we must entrust our souls to a faithful creator. I want to end by saying this to us. If you're here and you believe in Jesus and the suffering comes, 
What do we do with it? The answer is very simple. We entrust our souls to God. We choose to trust Him. To put our lives and our heart and our future and our dreams into God's hands. When my daughter was little, she was always a real, like, spunky, brave little thing. And when she was, like, two or three, I did this game with her where I'd put her up on, like, a, she'd be on a play place, like a little, like, a, a play place, like a little stinking, like, slide, pole, swing thing. And she'd always go to, like, a hole, and she'd, like, Dad, I'd look, and she'd jump out, and I'd catch her. And, I, and she, dude, she'd go high. And I'm like, come on. And she, dude, she was so brave, she'd just jump into the air. And I always told her, I said, Lena, if you jump, I'll catch you. And, dude, she would just take flight. And she had this game where she would jump, and I wasn't looking to see if I'd catch her, which is kind of a brutal thing to do, I thought anyway. So me and would be talking, and I'd see the corner of my eye. I'd see her going to jump, and I'd be like, whoa, and I'd catch her. And she'd be giggling, and I'm like, jeez, Lena. I talked a big track. I told her, I'll always catch you. So she would test out my, my, my declaration. But here's the deal. She'd jump with all that courage and all that faith because she trusted that her father would catch her. She entrusted herself into my hands. In the same way, if we are Christians, we have to trust God in this life. We say, you know what? I may not know why. I may not know what. I may not know when. But I know who, and that's enough. I, I trust him even though I can't see nothing else. And so I entrust myself into his hands. Now listen, with Lena, one time she jumped and I went to catch her and I caught her and didn't like, when you catch someone when they're jumping from a high place, you gotta kind of like, like, like you gotta, like, like a shock absorber. You have absorbed the pain. You have absorbed the impact. Well, I caught her and her, I, I kind of caught her and her head snapped forward and hit my mouth and my teeth hit her in like the, the forehead, which is painful. And she cried. I'm, I'm so sorry, Lita. So in my big talk, I couldn't, oh, and she got too big. And I'm like, Lena, stop jumping off things. you like, you're going to break my stinking back, you know? <laughs> she was, she, I, I literally, one thing she would always do is she would always, like, when she's little, she's just running, jump on me, and I'm laying down. She got bigger, and she like, jump up the couch, land on my, and I'm just laying there, eyes closed. All of a sudden, kid is like, cannonball on my back. So, I had to tell her one day, you got to stop jumping. I can't catch you no more. And I know, but here's the awesome thing. My power was limited for her, but the God of heaven, we're not going to outgrow him. He can still catch us even when we're 40, 50, 60, even if we blow up our lives in a horrible way, can still catch us. Entrust yourself to God. That's so Peter writes his he writes to his flock, to his people, and says, Listen, I know it's hard. I know you're suffering. He goes, Listen, suffering, don't be surprised. Suffering is the way. He says, Listen, suffering for Jesus is suffering with Jesus. You're sharing in his suffering. He says, Man, suffering with Christ is way better. Suffering without Christ. At the end, he goes, Listen. Whatever happens, entrust yourself to God. As we end our time together, 
we're going to take communion. This thing we do called communion is something Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. Across our city, across our state, across our nation, across the world, Christians are going to be eating the bread and the cup with us. We're not the only Christians in the house. There are people all the world love our Jesus, and they take the cup and the juice, the cup and the bread. And when we do this, we are remembering the cross that Christ died. Remember, our life came through Christ's death. Suffering brought glory. Who can take communion today? If you're at home, you can partake if you're a Christian. We take an open table here. If you're here and love Jesus, you may take. If you're here and you and God are fighting, before you take, make it right. There's going to be some quiet as we pass this. Take a moment to pray and get right in your own heart. But if you're here and you love Jesus, you're allowed to partake. So we're going to pass this around. If you want to take one, you don't, have, if you don't want to. You can pass the thing. No one will judge you. I'm not going to call and be like, I saw you not take. I'm not going to do that to you. Okay? It's up to you. It's between you and the Lord. I'm going to ask ushers to please come forward to receive the communion. As, as, as it goes around, take a cup and hold on to it, and we'll all take together, okay? So, um, with that said, go ahead and pass, and uh, we will take it a moment. In this moment of silence, get your heart right with the Lord. If you're watching at home, you can go in your kitchen and get some bread and a cup, put some water in it, whatever you want to do. For those of us in the room, we're going to remove just the clear plastic to get to that little tiny bread wafer, okay? On the night Christ was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Let us take.
Now we open the cup. Open up the purple. Jesus said, in the same way, this is my blood poured out for the remission of sins. Let us take. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for dying that we may live. Thank you for showing us what it means to be human. That if we choose to love, if we choose to live a life informed by your Father and full of his glory and spirit, we will know suffering in this life. As we suffer, give us the courage and the faith to entrust our very lives, our very souls, into your hands, O oh Lord. In Christ, and we ask all these things. Amen.